for today on a Friday. I'm Andy Brownell, along with Patrick Seed from the Destination Medical Center on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning, Patrick. Hey, it's great to join you, Andy. Yes, uh, another month has already flown by. We're that much closer to spring. <laughs> Doesn't it doesn't quite feel like that, but no, we know no, it we know it'll come. We know it'll come. Well, speaking of the fact that we're still in winter and in winter mode, downtown Rochester is going to be a a fairly happening place this weekend, right? Yeah, it's really exciting. The return of social ice, and of course, this is an event that's organized by the Rochester Downtown Alliance, but I'm happy and cheerful promoter of that event as a way of uh, celebrating winter in in a very unique and Rochester way. So Socialize begins on Friday and runs through the weekend. Kind of a, I mean, they've always had weather challenges with this event. It's been too warm sometimes. It's been too cold sometimes. Now a little bit of inclement, inclement weather thrown into the mix as they get prepared for it. But it looks like the weekend's just going to be absolutely perfect for the event itself well i think you know i think that's the beauty of uh of rochesterites they can celebrate winter regardless of the temperature or the conditions and and uh this this event really is intended to uh get people downtown get people experiencing the downtown and the businesses and come out of our shelter a little bit and and reacquaint ourselves uh what i'm particularly pleased about excited about is um there is a, a, a family oriented portion of the day on saturday fam jam they're referring to it as so it's very much family oriented um there are nighttime activities there's curling um uh, so it, it's really i think a great experience for individuals and families alike and again, it's a chance to come out and and see your neighbor, see your downtown, and and enjoy the spirit of the season. And show just how tough we Minnesotans are. We are tough. <laughs> we have proven it again. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I know since we last talked, the DMC board met, and we already kind of covered what's happening with Soldiers Field the last time we got together. But another aspect of the meeting agenda was I want to call it the riverfront plan, but it's, it's a longer title than that. There, there's been yeah. some progress on that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, these, these projects and, and soldiers field is a good example, a long lead up time and planning, um, fine tuning, uh, debate, and then finally gets to the point where, um, shovels ready to go in the ground. And that's the case with Soldiers Field with the, the financial support that's been assembled, all of the community discussions, the design and engineering. And, uh, sometime this spring, uh, they'll start turning, turning dirt as they, as they, uh, as they say uh, in, uh, making the improvements to Soldiers Field. The riverfront is at an earlier stage, it, but it's a stage that all of these projects have to go through. But the stage that we're at with the riverfront is we have a conceptual design. That's a term that's used in, in our industry, a conceptual design that was supported unanimously by city council, a lot of community participation and community support. And that conceptual design said, Let's find ways of getting to the river, making the river more accessible. Let's create some opportunities for more housing on the river because people love to live in the downtown and love to live near the river. And let's create more public spaces and uh, and uh, sort of retail spaces, spaces where you can get an ice cream cone or, or uh, rent a fishing rod or whatever it might be. 
Um, that was at the conceptual level. And now what we're doing is uh, more detailed engineering uh, to determine what can we do with that uh, flood wall, which works great as a flood wall, but it also serves as a barrier for um, for people to get to the river. So how can we think about re-engineering the flood wall to still apply, uh, provide flood protection, but give people more access, get down to the river, uh, canoe or kayak or uh, fish in the river, whatever um, the, the, what people really look for is how to naturalize the river. So we're at an earlier stage than Soldiers Field, making progress, however, on detailed design and engineering to really determine what can we do and, and how can we achieve the, the conceptual vision that the community in, embraced. So we might see some teams down there doing soil borings and that kind of work, perhaps? We'll see. Absolutely. And we'll have more community conversations. The uh, former Legends Building, Red Owl and Times Theater, we're looking at ways of repurposing those buildings for uh, a different kind of use. Um, there is, uh, we're going to start doing, you mentioned soil borings, and, and that's um, uh, that will help us determine uh contaminated soil that needs to be cleaned up and we'll apply for grants and funding to help with that kind of cleanup. So these are all the necessary uh, early stages that uh, have to take place before we get to the point like Soldiers Field where we can actually start doing the project. Okay, so as as far as the process timeline is concerned with this basic engineering work, um, you're looking at what's feasible as far as what chunks of the flood wall might be able to be removed and changed over to terraces or ramps or things like that um and what the soils will support as far as structures i'm i believe you know footing absolutely sort of basic type things yeah yeah so how long how long does this kind of process take this it'll probably consume much of 2023 and um and uh so it's uh it's it it's months in the making um uh, to do that kind of work and so probably much of 2023 and the target goal that we have is sometime in the latter part of 2023 that we do what's called a request for proposal so a lot of this land is owned by the city and this is a unique situation the city gets to de- determine the future of of this property they own it and so one concept is to put out a what's called an RFP request for proposals to seek developers to who are willing to develop consistent with the city's the city's vision and uh, we hope to have that out on the street um, later in 2023 part of uh, what what uh, what this does is it helps clarify uncertainties and developers are looking for um, clarity when they are uh, responding to, because they want to know if they get involved, has, you know, is there a lot of contaminant soil to be sure. dealt with or is there conditions that have to be improved? And so this is all of the pre-work that helps, will help attract qualified developers to achieve, I say the city, but it really, really means the community vision for, uh, for this property. Again, the municipality, the city of Rochester owns it. And so they, um, can steer, um, and provide direction as to what they're looking for, and, and hopefully we'll find a development partner can who can uh, achieve that vision. So this development partner, hopefully, if one comes forward or more than one comes forward, yeah. they would bring forward an, a more detailed 
proposal for those specific properties in hopes that it's agreeable to the city council and other parties. Yes. So like that's it's sort of the intersection between the community vision. What do we want to see happen? And the developer, which is what is probably more market based. What will the market support? It's sort of how do you, you know, create the alignment between um, those two? Because ultimately it has to be supported by the um, by the market, by the market. So. And I imagine a project of this scale would require public subsidies, as they usually do. What kind of involvement would uh, DMC have as far as infrastructure funding and those sort of things? Yeah, so I think where where we can be helpful is around the public spaces associated with a development. So we can um, support... Um, the public improvements, perhaps modifying the, you know, some, you know, the terraces, as you mentioned, if that's what it is around the flood wall or public spaces so that the river remains publicly accessible and, and a community asset. Um, the, the private sector, the developer really works on the development that, that is associated with it. But, you know, our job is to make sure that it remains a public asset, public, publicly available. And that's where we think we can be helpful. And this project, it's hard to wrap your mind around it because this, if it follows the concept that we've seen, this really will reshape downtown Rochester. It'll be, it'll be dramatic what happens if this ends up being what, what is actually reality in the end. It's a generate, it's a generational shift that will happen. Um, and I worked on riverfront um, development in St. Paul for uh, 20 plus years before moving to Rochester. And I, I will just know, I will tell you, communities around the country have all gone through this. They turned their backs to the river um, for whatever reason. Rivers were contaminated. Rivers were flood prone. Rivers were not seen as a, as a community amenity. And um, they've begun to rediscover and and revalue and sort of turn the face back to their waterfront and that's exactly what's happening here in rochester and i applaud the city council they've been champions of this idea they they acquired property and and this is important uh the the city is you know led the way in acquiring uh riverfront properties knowing that someday um, they will be repurposed for uh, community as a community asset, and we're we're getting to that point, and the community wants it, and we want to be helpful. And we we've been mainly talking about this area that's near the government center and the Mayo Civic Center, but the vision of this extends even further to the south, where the the Kmart property and the Ampi property, and that's all private development, but it's all linked together, right? A- absolutely, it's all linked together. Um, we have this, you know, incredible river and and uh, creek system in rochester and you know it's cascade lake and it's bear creek and it's the zumbro and silver lake i mean ultimately we have this incredible um asset the system that we can um take you know really uh, put into and, and really reignite as a as a as a part of the community um experience and and certainly we've seen it it's happened along the way. We've seen these improvements at Cascade Lake and and conversations at Silver Lake. So uh, lots of things are already happening. This is contributing to it. The one thing I've learned after observing the DMC process over the past five or so years is that, as you said, it's early stage and then 
you build up, build up, and then boom, all of a sudden this stuff happens, and it happens really quickly when it does happen. Yeah. I look yeah, at the area near where the radio station is and the changes that we've seen. It's been immense. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you've watched it firsthand for sure. And, you know, we have a great foundation as it relates to the river. But we have a great foundation, the, the hundred miles of biking trails throughout the, the downtown and, and throughout the community. Uh, much of that follows the river and creek system and is, you know, a treasured asset by the community. And that was some of it was a result of the uh, federal support. Uh, following the flood in the 1980s. So we, we understand that people, you know, want to be near the river and, and the trail system, bike trail system, walking trail system is an example of that. And, you know, what you just said, Andy, these, these projects take time. People are paying attention to it at a certain time. And as they become more visible, more people uh, want to engage and participate. And, and we say, you know, let's, you know, all, all, uh, all voices are welcome, uh, whenever they, um, whenever they are aware of the opportunity. So, so, um, you know, bus rapid transit is another example. You know, if we work every day, uh, 365 days successfully a year, you know, between now and, and it'll still take until March of 2026 before the bus rapid transit is up and running. Um, so it sounds like a long time away, but in our business, um, that's like tomorrow. It is. It goes by really fast when you think yeah. about it. Yeah. And this DMC initiative began what? It's been over five years now. Yeah, the the legislation um, was uh, enacted in 2013. So in oh, May, it'll be 10 years, 10, 10 years, years of the legislation. And then it took a wow. couple of years. It took a couple of years before we actually got up and running. So we sort of claim the start of the work as 2015. So we are eight yeah. years into it. Yeah, yeah eight. Wow. And then recently we've seen reports about the financial aspect of this because a big part of this was – winning the state legislature's approval for hundreds of millions of dollars in state funding to help with the infrastructure improvements needed. And recently we reached a milestone concerning those state dollars versus what we're contributing locally. Maybe you can explain what, what happened there, Patrick. Yeah. So I take, I wasn't around when the legislation was created, so I can't take credit for it, but it was, there's a lot of genius and a lot of good thought that went into that legislation, including the formula for how state funds would be awarded to Rochester. And that formula required a certain amount of private development that would occur. And over time, as that private development happened, more and more state money would come forward. And just this year, after um, uh, just this year, the state of Minnesota's contribution to Rochester through this initiative has now exceeded the local contribution. So the formula had the city, the county, and the state as three parties putting in resources. The city, and thankfully uh, they were willing to do so, front and loaded a lot of the work um, in which got the flywheel spinning, flywheels now spinning, and private development is happening, and the formula is kicking in where the state um, support to Rochester has now exceeded um, the local support. And it will continue now for the remainder of this 
of this term. So the city of Rochester via DMC will get a check for $30 million a year um, for the next uh, eight or 10 years in support of these projects. Speaking of projects, this one just popped into my mind because it's so close to the downtown. Is there any involvement uh, with your organization uh, and this group that is looking at redeveloping the YMCA site into apartments? Yeah, we've uh, we've been introduced to them and we know of the project. Um, they are not seeking um, at this point, not seeking okay. any public subsidy, any DMC support. They are uh, working on a quite, uh, I think they have a right to acquire the property and they're working through the development plan and it will, uh, it's being proposed as housing, which we desperately need in Rochester. And uh, they think they can do what they have in mind without any uh, public support. Oh, okay. Well, I guess uh, perhaps we might see you this weekend all bundled up. We probably wouldn't recognize you because we'll be in Minnesota fashion uh, and we're downtown <laughs> for socialized uh, you, this weekend. You will uh, you will see me and I will, uh, if if we happen to recognize each other in our uh, <laughs> snowsuits, Andy, be sure and say hello. Um, and I will, I will to you as well. I think it's a really great, um, I, I, one of those great moments in a in a city's year, um, social ice, and I and it's it, it it brings people from all over the community, and uh, there's nothing like um, being outdoor outdoors on a cold snowy day with a whole bunch of other people. So you sort of <laughs> suffer together, suffer and celebrate together. Uh, a recent arrival from another country uh, into our community. Um, I've gotten to know real well, and this is their, I think, second winter that they've, you know, we say endured, they might yeah. say enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and, and it's taken a long time for them to get used to the idea that when it gets really, really cold and it's winter and you're outdoors doing thing, fashion is out the window. It's, yeah. It's, fashion is out the window. Yeah. Sure. Just, just put that aside. Well, all right, Patrick, uh, thank you again for joining us and bringing us an update on what's happening with the Destination Medical Center. Thanks a lot, Andy. Appreciate it. All right, it. that's Patrick Sieb with the DMC on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. From the News Talk 1340, K- oh, Rochester Today on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Joined by Bill Werner from the Minnesota News Network. Good morning, Bill. Hey, hi there, Andy. You have a... To say the very least, as an observer from almost 100 miles away, you've had a hectic few weeks at the state capitol. <laughs> this has been a, been wild, or, you know, right from the beginning, too. I, I, it kind of reminds me of a drag race. Let's go zero to 200 miles an hour in three seconds or whatever, you know. Uh, uh, and certainly that's been the case at the, at the Minnesota capitol this session. I mean, you, you have... A situation, of course, where Democrats uh, control uh, the House and the Senate majorities and continue to have, have a Democrat in the governor's office. And there was a lot of stuff that was, uh, uh, shall, shall we say, uh, in, in their minds undone. Uh, and they have said, we're going to do it this legislative session. So in addition to uh, the, the main task of this uh, legislative session in an odd numbered year uh, being 
setting the state budget for the next two years, uh, they have a, a tremendous number of what are called social issues uh, uh, on the agendas as well. Most notably, of course, the uh, the abortion issue and uh, codifying or putting uh, the Roe v. Wade provisions and really even going beyond that uh, into uh, into Minnesota law. And that's the, the first really significant big piece of legislation that that has become law this legislative session but as you alluded to there's a lot of other stuff too that has been happening so bill just this week you've uh, reported on an expansion of ability to get driver's licenses for uh, well undocumented people living in the state and the other right. one was the convicted felons Correct. and their ability to have their voting rights restored Correct. Yeah, two really high, highly controversial issues. Um, well, why don't we take felon voting rights first? Um, this seems reasonable. Um, the, the, the argument here uh, that the proponents and their Democrats uh, say is, well, uh, these folks, um, and, and really what the bill does is it, it allows felons to vote after they have been released from prison or jail, so after the incarceration term ends. Uh, and the argument uh, that the Democrats' sponsors make for that is that these folks uh, have been judged uh, to be safe, to be uh, allowed back out into the community. They are paying taxes. They're uh, working jobs, at least some of them. Uh, taking care of families, uh, and um, that the voting process uh, gives them an opportunity to to engage more with the community and to feel as if they are having having an input into what their tax dollars are being used for, um, and and therefore it's a good idea. Um, the the opponents to this, primarily from the Republican side, say, well, but there are some very serious crimes that some people commit murder um sexual assault um rape of a child um some of the ones that that came up in in floor debate that um these folks really um need to pay their full debt to society which includes the probationary period and which includes restitution and fines and fees uh court ordered um before their right to vote is restored. Um, and that is essentially where the debate uh, uh, fell, um, an extended debate um, in both chambers, but most recently in the Senate, of course, who passed it earlier in the week and, and then sent it to the governor, and he's expected to sign it now, this next week. Um, and a very, very heated debate. Uh, but it, it fell along party lines, and, and that is not surprising under the current circumstances. No, it's not. The question I have for you, Bill, is I didn't read anything referring to the convicted felon who does not have a prison sentence, who has a stayed prison sentence and is immediately right. placed on probation. Do they not yeah, lose that, their voting that, rights? That came up in debate. That came up in debate, and the voting rights are restored then at that point. Immediately right? then. That's correct. You are okay. correct. And that, that one came up in debate, and there was a fair amount of fair amount of wrangling over that particular issue. So, you know, this is a, um, it's a hot-button issue, needless to say, and, um, and, and, and the debate reflected that. And I imagine that the Republicans are already talking about using this as a soft on crime issue for the election coming up in less than two years. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, there, there's no 
question about that. Um, how much traction it has remains to be seen. Um, all you really need, of course, is probably one issue, a major case where uh, a, a felon who is released from prison and uh, voting rights are restored, and then there's a high-profile case where that person reoffends. Right? Um, that's kind of what is needed from a political standpoint to give Republicans traction on this in the next election. And of course, nobody hopes that's going to happen. No. Um, but the, these are forces beyond our control. So the other hot button issue we talked about that was passed this week and is headed to the governor for his signature is the, what do they call it, driver's licenses for all bill. Right. Yeah, that's right. And what it would do is it would, uh, would say that undocumented residents and to use a less favorable term, illegal aliens, okay? In other words, people who are here and are not citizens and are not are not docu- who are not legally allowed to be here would be allowed to obtain driver's licenses in Minnesota under this bill that the Minnesota Senate passed. The House passed it earlier, the Senate passed it this week. It's headed to the governor. The governor, all the indications are that he'll sign that bill into law. Um, there are strong arguments on both sides. Uh, the uh, backers of the bill say these are people who are paying taxes. Uh, they are they are in Minnesota, in the United States, and in Minnesota uh, to better their lives, uh, not to commit crimes. Um, and we need to acknowledge that they need a means of getting to work legally to do jobs so that they can support their families and pay taxes, even though they aren't citizens, parenthetically, yet, okay? Um, and uh, therefore, um, having a driver's license will, will help that. It will, uh, uh, they would, will be required to have, to pass driver's tests, right? The written test and the road test. They will be required to um, have insurance and everybody, the argument is, everybody is going to be safer as a result of this. What kind of what kind ahead. of documentation would they have to produce in order to get a license? Well, well, that's the and that's a, there's a long list of possibilities there. Okay, and and without actually getting into the language of the bill, there, but there are there are primary documents and there are secondary documents that are used to establish identity and to establish legitimacy, as it were, that they are not a criminal on the run in the United States of America, but. That is the heart of the uh, objections to this uh, uh, that uh, Republicans have made and other opponents have made to this is, can you be absolutely sure, and one of the things that came up in debate uh, is, can you be absolutely sure that one person is not going to come here from some other country uh, and cross the border and come into Minnesota, uh, some, uh, who's a, someone who's a terrorist, and get a Minnesota driver's license and use that to get on an airplane because real ID is not in force yet, right? Yeah, so there's a, a whole slew of documents that the backers point to and say, um, hey, you know, they're going to need to provide one or more of these documents, and these are legitimate documents uh, that are reviewed by government offices. And the opposition says, yeah, but one if one of them gets through, um, squeaks by, because these people uh, who, are, who are terrorists and other uh, people who are um, trying to do illegal things um, know the tricks, and they study this. Um, so... You know that's. How about the? Any, go ahead. Yeah. How about the voting aspect of this? Uh, the reason I bring that up, and I know it's right, 
poo-pooed by those who are supporters of this, but Correct. I think there's a legitimate question as to when I vote by absentee ballot, the proof that I have to be a registered voter is my driver's license number. There, there are there are questions in the, in that area, and some of those questions are not completely answered in debate, and that's true in all debates, uh, certainly. But this this one was no exception. I thought one case that came up that was kind of interesting, um, that that was was cited in floor debate, and I believe by one of the opponents, who who said that that a, a person that they know um, who is not a citizen, and I didn't get the impression that this person was undocumented. Okay, so this person was here legally. Um, uh, said went into the polls and said, "Well, I, I I'm not sure if I can vote. I, I go into the polls, and they were given a ballot and voted. And uh, it was later discovered by federal authorities uh, that this person had voted um, as a non-citizen, which is a felony, which means deportation. Oh, gosh. And that apparently a, a state lawmaker and a federal lawmaker, I'm talking about a congressperson, okay, needed to intervene to stop that person from being deported. Um, again, an example cited in Senate floor debate. Um, well, that also that raises the question as to... All sorts of implications, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, would an undocumented person be willing to go forward to obtain the documents that would needed, be needed to get the driver's license? Because wouldn't that also put them in the system? Well, that's... The, the, there are... You see, the, the thing is, that it's a question of, is there a confidence that there's a firewall there, Right. Um, and because, in fact, this information is, and, and the backers have taken pains to say that this information is not something that's going to be used uh, to check people's immigration status. One of the things that was, that was debated very um, vigorously and for a long period of time uh, in that Senate floor debate, which went, I don't know, eight hours or something like that, right, um, or at least better part of that, um, was uh, that, that uh, Republicans uh, proposed putting uh, markings on a driver's license saying not for voting um, or not for benefits or making the back in committee there was debate over um, having the format of a driver's license for uh, undocumented residents be different a vertical format rather than a horizontal format or something of that sort sure right or putting various other indicators on the license and and Democrats opposed that very vigorously um, they, they said this is going to put people in a situation where those who hate immigrants and, and I'll you know I'm be blunt this is kind of what was, was said you know those those who hate immigrants and don't want to see them here are going to look for that on the driver's license whatever opportunity they, they can and they're and that's going to be um, a cause for harassment or discrimination uh, there's also of course a question of might uh, certain law enforcement personnel see that and then handle a case differently right uh, handle a particular encounter with an individual differently even though they are not supposed to um, and all of those things <laughs> you can see that this gets to be a, a very complicated yeah. issue on, on both sides there are very strong arguments on on both sides uh, for for and against doing sure it. I understand that well Bill we have to take a quick break 
We'll do that, and we'll come back in just a moment. Bill Werner from the Minnesota News Network updating us on the current legislative session on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROCAM, and 96.9 FM. It's high these buy this, get that free sale. Warner from the Minnesota News Network on News Talk 1340, KROCAM, and 96.9 FM. We're getting uh, one of our updates on the ongoing legislative session, and we mentioned that this is a budget year bill, and that is, <laughs> is, the, is the main uh, the main mission of this legislature um, really hasn't been much movement on that, but I guess that's because we're, everybody's waiting for a report that's due out next week. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. And these folks have done some preliminaries. I mean, there, there's no question about that. They're assembling the bills and they're taking testimony. They're initially getting reviews of economic situations and reviews from state departments and all. I mean, a lot of this stuff has been going on now for well, a couple of months at the legislature but but now we're getting to the point where there actually need to these these social issue bills for lack of a better term right that we we, we talked about in, in the first segment there um now they're going to have to clear those off of their plate and they're going to have to get going on things like funding education health and human services transportation public safety and all the all the items on the list a a two-year budget um uh, for the state of minnesota which is going to have to be done this legislative session uh to avoid uh, at the end of the fiscal year of uh, government shutdown which would be a, a real embarrassing thing when you have democrats controlling both the minnesota house and senate and the governor's office i, I don't i think that the likelihood of that happening is is, is pretty low but uh, but I wouldn't put uh, out of the realm of possibility spe- special session, which would be pretty embarrassing to folks also. But be that as it may, all this stuff, it, now it's getting to the point where, yes, they need to uh, need to address it. And the, the question is, um, on Monday, uh, lawmakers will get uh, an update on the economic forecast. And one of the big components of that, of course, is will the states, what will happen to the state's budget surplus, which... The last report uh, in November, late November, early December, uh, showed uh, nearly $18 billion with a B, um, the <laughs> a whopper. I mean, in terms of real dollars and in terms of, uh, you know, the, probably the largest budget surplus in state history uh, as a result of a number of factors. Um, but the question is, what is going to going to happen on that? Will that uh, will that remain at that level, or will it be uh, smaller, or will it be larger? I'm, if I'm a gambling man, if they had not made mm-hmm. the change and factored in inflation, I would have said a couple billion higher. Just my guess. Based on the economic forecast, based on the the, the quarterly updates, right, and the monthly updates, uh, and just what has happened with the economy that. We we haven't really slid into a recession, um, and all that is dependent on what the, what the Fed is doing with monetary policy and whether they're putting the brakes on too hard, right, and all these things with interest rates. But uh, at least initially, we, we haven't slid into a recession, although there have been some job growth uh, impacts, certainly, uh, no question about that. So then that would seem that, yes, that perhaps, and again, we're kind of doing some, some armchair speculation right here, that, that, that perhaps uh, the, the budget uh, surplus could increase. However, as you point out, now a law, which the governor just signed uh, on uh, well, Wednesday, signed into law, requires that 
the spending side of forecasts uh, include inflation. Uh, that was dropped off a number of years ago. The argument being that it's going to that it would put the state budget on autopilot. That if we include inflation, well, then everybody just says, "Oh, these programs increase and increase and increase and increase," and there's never any reassessment of the spending levels. Um, uh, but uh, in situations like this, where we have significant, and that's all right to make that argument when you have inflation that's sitting at what one percent or two percent, which we had for some period of time. But now we're in a situation where inflation is significantly higher than that, right? It's getting on toward, what, what I don't know what the latest Six and a half was the last six, one. Six and a half, yeah, six and a half, seven, somewhere in there. It's a significant number, um, and that starts to affect, starts to impact state budgeting fairly substantially. Um, I've heard some numbers about if you factor inflation into this, how much will, would the forecast go down uh, or the, the budget surplus go down given all um, everything else being held equal and, and it could be potentially in the billions of dollars that it would reduce it. So we'll have to see. So, Bill, back in the days when I think it was Arnie Carlson, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I'd hear Arnie talk and Arnie being a social moderate but somewhat conservative fiscally. Correct. Would uh, often... Chant, I guess, would be the way I'd put it. It's all about the tails. You always have to watch the tails. Yeah, the tails words, meaning the future costs of these programs. Yeah, in other words, a program that, that's implemented on a particular year, it continues, and therefore it has impact out in future budget cycles. Not, not only the two-year budget cycle that we're dealing with now, but the two years beyond that and two years beyond that. Bill, with this addition of the inflationary factor into the budget forecast, Will that address this tails issue, or is it still... The reason I'm asking you is because I'm reading the news from California where they had this massive budget surplus. Compared to us, I mean... Oh, yeah. Many times larger. But for similar reasons. It was... You know, tax collections were up, COVID money flowed in, all sorts of things. Yeah, and they're, federal money as a result of the federal government borrowing, right? Yeah, okay. and they're facing the same same issues we are. They're, they're just a little ahead of the game. But, um, the legislature in California approved a whole bunch of new spending programs, partially because of this budget surplus. And now some of the tax revenues are gone, the COVID money's gone. And uh, while they're dealing with a projected, sizable projected deficit, Right. Is that is that weighing in on the debate over this at all at this point that hey, we better watch out, be careful? It certainly is from the Republican side. Um and but they're in the minority. Uh and, and the other thing that we have to remember on this too is that Republicans um are advocating for permanent tax cuts. Um uh, in one area most notably the um, elimination, total elimination of state income tax on Social Security benefits. And the, the, the governor has, has proposed doing that partially, as, as have Democrats. Some Democrats want to go the whole way. Uh, but I think generally or collectively, I think Democrats don't want to do that because they say that it is going to benefit upper income people. And the governor has said um, his exact words may um, I, I may not be quoting him 100 percent. But the but the gist of it was that he says, I'm not going to give a tax break to people who are making a million dollars a year or something like this. Right. OK. Or, uh, and and it's. Um, so, so that that is what the democratic um, stance on it is, 
while Republicans say we need to completely eliminate uh, state income tax on Social Security benefits and we need to do some some other uh, permanent tax cuts beyond that. Well, those in the strange parlance of government have <laughs> tails as well, right? I mean, when you when you reduce taxes obviously then you you impact the balance sheet out into the future just as if you uh, you are increasing spending right uh, for the <laughs> reasons of which of, of which are, are are perhaps somewhat obscure to folks who are not <laughs> yeah because operating in this environment right in the you know, government accounting government. yeah in the accounting uh, in the government world in accounting a tax cut is considered an expenditure that's correct that's correct. Okay. Because because you <laughs> because you have other programs that are already that, that there are that are there are commitments that have been made for right. Yeah. Right. So you know the person coming into this is saying what <laughs> right <laughs> and 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 I think we as as reporters right even need to be need to be careful about that too right because it's very easy to get uh, pulled into that. <laughs> And to realize that fundamentally people are paying the taxes and the, right. let this come out. I mean, let's it's okay. double speak That's, is what it is. Yeah, well, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, interesting times ahead to uh, the report next week. Um, we still have the marijuana issue out there. Correct. We yeah, we sure the, do. Uh, we have the we school have. lunches issue is not fully resolved, although I think that's kind of a done deal. Uh, I think that probably is, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we also have a legalized sports betting that is one of the issues that is starting to uh, to rear its head again at the legislature for the ends year in a row. Um, uh, those are some that uh, that will be the the social issues, as it were, in addition to the to the budgeting um, discussion that's going to continue out uh, now for the next few months. All right, Bill. Well, I look forward to checking in with you again in the near future to get another update as this legislative session continues. Hopefully, not cruising at the speed it has been because you need to get some rest. Well, you know, I got a feeling that it's going to even pick up the pace oh, even, even, even further just because now we're into the budget stuff. And uh, I think it's just going to be full speed ahead, uh, accelerator to the floor from this, this point forward right through third week of May. And who knows? And if something happens and they don't get it all done, maybe even into a special session. Well, oh, gosh. Don't say that. Well, we wish you well, and we'll check in with you hopefully soon. I thank Sounds you very good. very much for the information and your time, Bill. Oh, it's Appreciate always good it. to be with you folks. Okay, everybody take care. All right. Bill Werner with the Minnesota News Network. This is Rochester Today on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Did you know you can get your prescriptions for less at your local pharmacy? 